Last time on License to Parent. In this household, we have rules, and these are what the rules are, and you're accountable for those rules. And if you don't like those rules, we can have a discussion tomorrow at 5.30. We can sit down for half an hour, and we can have a gripe session. That's perfectly fine. The kids usually aren't interested in that. What they're interested in is getting out of a particular responsibility. That's Kimball Lewis, the CEO of Empowering Parents. Now, today, Kimball joins us again to discuss a total transformation of our children through empowering parents. This is Licensed to Parent. And welcome to Licensed to Parent, the radio outreach of Shepherds Hill Academy, a year-long Christ-centered wilderness-based therapeutic program designed for teens in crisis. Our host is the founder and director of Shepherds Hill, Trace Embry, and I'm Rich Rosel. And Trace, I think we really hit on something there, so let's see if we can dig down a bit further with our guest. So, Kimball, let's uh, let's get into the nuts and bolts of handling bad situations. Uh, first of all, why do so many parents find themselves involved in long and ongoing arguments with their teens um, or, or little kids? I mean, they'll, they'll banter back and forth with a five-year-old, and it's like, <laughs> seriously? Well, I, we point out to parents that uh, kids with, with behavior problems, typically w- what they have is a problem-solving problem. They don't, they don't solve problems very well. And what I mean by problems, either they don't deal with, with um, emotional problems like frustration or anger or anxiety. They don't deal with um, functional problems like actually putting down their electronics to get their work done. And they also don't deal with social problems like dealing with other, other people. They don't, you know, some kids have trouble with social cues. But a lot of it's functional stuff. They don't want to do chores or something. And they use the arguing as a way to get out of doing it. It becomes a problem-solving technique. They don't, they don't want to do the chores because it makes them feel uncomfortable, and, and the feeling of discomfort's a problem. And they've discovered, they discovered this early on, that arguing solves that problem for them. Because I mean, most parents out there that, that argue with their kids over chores have, have had this experience, which is, I came, come home from work, and I'm tired, and I don't want to... I don't want to have this argument anymore, so I'm just going to do the chores. It's much easier if I just do the chore myself and not right. hold my child accountable for That's it. That's terrible. So, so the arguing on the part of the child, whether, it's, whether they're aware of it or not, is a problem-solving skill for the child. It's the way they're solving problems. Now, now, if you want your child to stop doing that, you have to make sure that doesn't work for them anymore. And that's, that's a whole part of the, the disconnecting from these things. And at the same time, you have, to, you have to offer them sort of alternatives to that as their problem-solving skill. But, but step one is, is don't let the arguing work. And, and that's why we say disconnect from the arguments, which is you don't, you don't have to have those discussions. You can explain yourself once and then move on. And then if, if they don't do the chores, then you apply reasonable consequences. For the, for the parents that haven't done this before, we get a lot of feedback that the like the day that they stop attending the arguments, their child knows something is up because it's so dramatic when they've been involved in these arguments all the time. When the parent finally says, I'm not having this discussion, and then walks away and disconnects from the child, um, a lot of things change at that moment. The child mm-hmm. knows something's up. Uh, how does that, what does it look like in real time? Just walk away. Uh, you know, there are kids who will follow you when you're walking away and continue to ask questions and demand answers. And uh, what if you have no place, no no place to go to walk away? What do you do in that situation? That's that's where the, that's where our coaching really helps to come in. If if 
if the child is, is of a reasonable age, you know, 12 and can stay home alone, we would actually say, get in the car, get in the car and go somewhere or, or lock your door or, you know, just to, you need to do your best to ignore them. It, it might take several tries. And your house, um, you come back to your house has got, it looks like a Swiss cheese because they... I know, I know. So, but there are going to be consequences <laughs> for that also. But, but most of the time that the kids are only so persistent, you know, if, if you stop the communication, if, if, if they're, all they're doing is constant arguing, um, they'll, they'll stop after a while. Because again, they do it because it's effective, but when it stops being effective, they don't, they, they don't do it anymore. I like one of the workarounds that you talked about in our previous program, and that was saying, you know, no, we're not going to talk about it now. We're not going to argue. You're just going to do it. However, if you'd like to talk about it, we can discuss it, you know, tomorrow afternoon at 530 or whatever. And, and I see one other benefit to that is then the child has to decide, do I want to invest another half hour or hour of my time in talking about this thing when my real goal was to get out of doing it now? So um, you, you may get to avoid the argument altogether. Exactly. And, th- and that's what usually happens because the, the arguing, the fighting is just, it's the technique for them to solve that problem, which is that they don't want to do something that is their responsibility. And as long as the argument happens, they're at least postponing the inevitable. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. So you walk away from the argument and uh, Junior's like, cool, <laughs> just goes and does what he wants to do. Uh, then you apply consequences. So parents have recourse at that point, and we say set up reasonable consequences. Um, so if they haven't done their chores, it's it's a it's a no electronics until the chores are done, and then you and then you you know remove either their phone access or the electronics access, and they get it back once their chores are done. And the expectation is that your child's going to keep testing you for a while. So if it doesn't seem like it works or isn't effective the first time, you need to be consistent. It might take a week. It might take two weeks. It might take three or four weeks. Um, every child's different. And when I say every child's different, I mean that honestly, because we have parents come to us. They have two children that are perfectly fine. And one of them is very difficult. It's not like they're a different parent to the same parent. It's just that some kids are harder than others and require a little more persistence. Parents tell me all the time, uh, raise all my kids the same. They turn out different. I say they turn yeah, out exactly different because you raise them all the same. You know, exactly. That, you know, we, we have this saying that, you know, parent the child you have, not the child you wish you had. Like we have this conception of what our child should be like, and they don't turn out that way. You have to parent the child that you have, and your child is, it might be different than what you thought they might be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Well, we talk about rules and trying to get, you know, behavior in order and things like that. Uh, how do you respond to the quote-unquote parenting professionals, the people with all the letters behind their names, who say that this approach is simply behavior modification, that behavior modification doesn't work? How do you respond to them? I think behavior modification actually does work, but it's more than behavior modification. You're teaching a child to be responsible for themselves. And that like in real life, there are consequences. We have a term, natural consequences. Right. You know, If you don't pay your bills, your credit card companies are going to shut off your credit card. I mean, that's a, that's a, it's going to happen in real life. So what, what you're doing is in the household, well, up, up until the kids are age 18 or so, is you're starting to model real life for them. Um, because when you get out into the real world, it's not like that. Right. My dad used to say that if you could train a pet to roll over and do tricks, he could train a child to mind him. And though the concept of training, uh, it's almost offensive in the world of, uh, mental health, uh, but it does seem to be congruent with Scripture. It's also a concept that's congruent with uh, 
behavior modification and therefore frowned upon by mental health circles. So yeah. we, you know, we've got, we we're, we're buddy. We don't use the term training because it sounds it does sound a little pejorative, but we use the term skill building because we we look okay. at behavior as a skill and and self control and discipline as as a skill which is something that you learn and you learn it through practice. But what's wrong with training? Um, I was a policeman. I got trained as an adult. I mean, the military gets trained. Why wouldn't we train our children? I mean, I, I, I sign I, off every radio broadcast. If you don't train your children, yeah. somebody else will. And somebody else, in many cases, already has. And this is why you have the problem to begin with. So I, 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 I'm not going to back I totally, away from training. I, I think, I think it's, um, <laughs> when people say training, they think dog, which is right. actually the same thing also, but it's like our kids aren't, our kids aren't dogs. So I think that's probably why, but you know what? People <laughs> that are, that are that object to that, they're looking, they're actually looking for something to object. So they're just going to listen to every word until they find something to yeah. object to, and they're going to object. So whether yeah. the word is training or skill building or whatever, it's all the, it's all the same thing, which is you're practicing getting better at something and, and if, and, and behavior and discipline and self discipline. All those things are, are, I'm still practicing. I'm still working on it, actually. Sure. I'm a work in progress. You well, know? doctors so. practice their, their uh, uh, craft uh, until they retire, right? That's so true. They're always in, always in practice. Um, I, yeah. I was uh, reminded of something when you were talking about natural consequences. When our oldest kids were coming up through school and we had them enrolled in a, a private Christian school, there were times when they kind of slacked off on their homework and we thought, aha, now they're going to get in trouble at school and we don't have to be the bad guys. Natural consequences will take their course and mm-hmm. our kids will learn from it. And invariably, my smooth talking son talked the teacher into giving him an extension and finishing the work later. And so the lesson that we learned from it was, Old yeah, school. we still got, <laughs> well, <laughs> we, uh, and we did that also, but uh, the, the lesson we learned was, you know, you've always got to be the parent. And even if natural consequences do take effect and help with the teaching, you've still got to establish your own rules, establish your own boundaries and consequences. So yeah, uh, there's the natural consequences and then there's us. And we tell parents, like, failure is an option. It's okay for your child to fail the classes. That's what it takes them to, to, to figure it out. Like, the, swo- swooping in at the last minute to get a, to get a teacher, this happens, to, to get a teacher to change a grade so your child doesn't fail is, is not necessarily doing your child a favor. Oh, no. And they need so. to know that they can fail forward. I mean, they don't have to fail backwards. They can fail forward if they're learning, learning from it. Uh, yeah. But how should a parent who's allowed, you know, all this arguing and this nonsense to go on for so long, just all of a sudden, you know, put a stop to it? I mean, uh, Junior's going to, it's going to be a little bit of a shock to Junior's system, I guess. Uh, should we be warning parents that things could get a little worse before they get better? Sometimes, yeah. The nice thing is these things, where the encouraging thing is that these things have patterns and you can plan for them. Like you kind of have an idea of what might happen. And, and some, you know, parents have an idea like, you know, usually when, if it's just been arguing and you stop doing the arguing, it tends not to become like violent at that point. Usually if, if, if you think there's going to be like property destruction or violence, they've already seen some of that. So they know, they know when they can plan for that. So, all of these are patterns of behavior, and, and it's helpful because you can plan ahead of time for what you're going to do. And that's one of the things with parents is that, is that when, when you do have a situation with your child, it's inevitable. You've seen it before. You can put a plan together ahead of time. And if you have a plan ahead of time, you just sort of go into execution mode, and the stress level is much lower, and, and it tends to work out much better. But execution so, mode is, is where the problem is. 
uh, people have trouble executing. I know even what we do here at Shepherd's Hill is, is, you know, we have all these strategies and, and biblical principles and scientifically backed uh, ideas and, and yet, uh, you still got to get your team to to, to execute, just like a, a yeah. any football team or any sports. But most of the parents that, that use these programs, they don't even have a plan. Like they don't know. Like um, a, a lot of times, you point out to things like like arguing and yell, like yelling. Let's take yelling for example. Yelling's not an effect. We we would we would tell parents, yelling's not an effective terrible parenting skill. And and if, and if yelling was effective. James Lee used to say this all the time. He said, if yelling was effective, you'd just send your kid to me. I'd yell at him for 50 minutes a week and send him home and, like, problem solved. Yeah, yeah. Yelling gets you fired here at Shepherd's Hill. We, we don't yeah. play that game. Hmm. Well, let me jump in and let you know that we're talking today on Licensed to Parent with Kimball Lewis, the CEO of EmpoweringParents.com. Uh, he it was a guest last week as well. So let me tell you, if you did not hear that conversation, it would be good to go back and listen to it. And if you've missed part of today's, you can do the same by going to our website, licensedtoparent.org. Again, you'll find last week's and this week's program on the website. And we'll be back with more conversation with Kimball Lewis right after this. So don't go away. Shepherds Hill Academy, a year-long Christ-centered residential program for teens in crisis, is celebrating 20 years of ministry. There have been many distractions in our work through the years as a result of a four-lane highway that divided our land. As a result, plans are underway to develop a whole new campus designed to improve our students' therapeutic experience away from the highway noise, along with up-to-date infrastructure and staff offices, all to help smooth out the day-to-day operations. The five-year, two-phase plan will begin with a new dining hall to be completed by the end of the year, followed by two new school buildings, also containing a new studio for licensed parent. Please consider partnering with us, building together a new and improved Shepherd's Hill Academy. Learn more and make your gift today. Shepherdshillacademy.org slash building together. That's shepherdshillacademy.org slash building together. And thanks for helping us provide healing to teens in crisis. Your children are teens now. They're growing up and gaining independence. That's kind of the point of parenting, isn't it? You're raising future responsible adults, but they're not responsible adults yet. They may be able to do things on their own, but you still want to be able to contact them and you want to equip them for success. So you decide to get them a smartphone. But why a smartphone? For most people, that means 24-7 access to everything on the planet. And that's not wise, nor is it healthy. Digital addiction is prevalent these days. In fact, we see teens of all ages dealing with mental health and behavioral issues rooted in overuse of technology. Issues that affect health, wellness, ability to focus, performance in academics, and more. That's why at Licensed to Parent, we want you to choose a wise phone alternative instead of a smartphone. More information is available at LicensedToParent.org slash wisephone. This is Licensed to Parent, the radio outreach of Shepherds Hill Academy, a year-long Christ-centered residential program working with troubled teens and their parents. And our guest on the program today is Mr. Kimball Lewis. He's CEO of EmpoweringParents.com, another great parenting resource. I'd urge you to go and read some of their many articles, check out their other resources, and see if they might be able to benefit you as a parent as well. Trace? 
Well, Kimball, during the break, we were talking about uh, what you call the Y trap, and I'd like you to share that with our uh, listeners. Okay, so I, I, this is in the category of communication and the words that we use with our kids matter. And communication and words really do matter. And if you've ever been in couples therapy, you know that like one of the number one issues between couples is a communication problem. And it's the same thing with our kids. And the words that we use matter. And, and part of the total transformation program that James Lehman put together um, Part of the, the thing what I like about it so much is that in very many, in many of the situations, he tells you the actual words you should use in these situations. And one of them is the why trap. And the why trap goes like this. Your, your child's doing something like playing video games, and they're supposed to be doing their homework. And a parent gets into this habit of walking into the room and sees their child playing video games. And the parent says, why are you playing video games? And they, they, you know, they, they're very frustrated. Say, why are you playing video games? You know you're not supposed to be playing video games. And when you ask your child why, we point this out to parents, you're asking them for an excuse. And you're standing there looking at them, and the child's trying to think up of some reason why, and then they'll come up with an excuse. And we tell parents, we don't want our kids to give us excuses. They know what the rule is. What you want to do is come in and authoritatively, not yelling, but in a way that like like a the good boss might do it, you come in and say, you know you're not supposed to be playing video games. Now go do your homework. Or if you're not sure if if they really know, you could ask them, do you know what you're supposed to be doing right now? And if if they say, yeah, I'm doing my homework, then you just say, then go do it and and leave it at that. Don't get into this whole why, why, why. Uh, It also happens with little kids as well. a lot of parents, a child is not feeling well or is crying or, you know, this like five or six-year-old kids, and you ask them why, what's wrong, what's wrong? The child often doesn't know what's wrong. They might be overtired, and usually a parent can tell what's wrong. They just, the child needs to go to sleep, they're overtired, whatever, and when you ask them why, the child doesn't even know why they're not feeling well. They kind of get panicked as well. They're like, my parents don't even know what's wrong with me. Mm. So we tell parents, you know, be very clear and use direct statements, and especially with kids with behavior problems, direct calm, assertive statements are, are very important, so there's no wiggle room. That's just how the mafia operates. <laughs> they, don't, exactly. they, don't ar- they don't argue, they don't, you know, uh, get uh, loud, and but, they just, you know... They just they tell you what they're going to do. Why, it's yeah. true. Yeah, you, you say why, and you wait there. You sit and wait for the excuses as, as if they're going <laughs> to come up with an excuse. And it's almost yeah. like you're angry at your child. You want them to come up with an excuse so that you can then yell at them for you know, for making up an excuse. And it shouldn't be like that. It's just, you know, realize your child has a behavior problem and you're, and you're going to be working on it. And just say, no, you need to stop and go do your work. You're teeing them up to raise your blood pressure is what you're doing. Exactly, um, yeah. You know, so often we hear junior does what junior does. And I hear amateurs say this too, not just mental health professionals. But junior does what junior does because junior has poor self-esteem. Talk about self-esteem and the failed experiment that it's been. You know, there's, there's been this movement that, that thankfully over the last few years is being debunked somewhat, but they're still out there. But this idea that the reason kids don't behave well is they have low self-esteem. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, we tell parents the goal is appropriate behavior no matter how you feel. Because you may never solve the problem of poor self-esteem or, or you know, your life is hard, right? You're going to go through times when you're feeling good about yourself, not feeling good about yourself. You might suffer from depression at some point. You may not. You may come out of it. But no matter what, no matter how you're feeling, that doesn't give you license to abuse other people and treat other people, you know, poorly. And again, the goal is, is good behavior no matter how you feel. Mm-hmm. And as James Lehman put it, he said, you can't, 
you can't feel your way to better behavior, but you can behave your way to better feelings. Yeah, I think that's a million-dollar statement right there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, other, the other thing is repression. Popular mental health professionals will say that, uh, you know, Junior's got to have some way of unloading his, his anger or frustration. We had a kid at Shepherd's Hill that was writing all these crazy things he wanted to do to, to his teacher. And our teacher's assistant saw what he was writing and said, hey, you can't be writing that. And he says, well, my therapist back home said, if I can't yell it out, you're not, you're not going to let me yell it out, uh, then I need to write it out. And, and our guy said, you're not going to do that either. Um, the Bible calls this self-restraint. And I, I don't think that people can feel good when they're not exercising self-restraint or self-discipline. And uh, they're just this unbridled, do what your emotions, let your emotions dictate what you do, I don't think is a, a very good idea. It's never proved to work. Can you speak to that? Yeah, we, we have a lot of articles on this, especially for parents that maybe have guilt or other things going on when they're working with their kids. And I think that sort of mainstream mental health professionals would agree that positive self-talk, like, like there's a little voice in your head and very often, and this is, this is sort of one of the theories behind cognitive behavior therapy, that little voice in your head is often telling you bad things. And that one of the goals, and this, and this is one of the very good goals of, of therapy is to, is to start training that voice to not be talking negative, horrible, terrible things, but talking positive things. So I'm surprised that counselors would be advising people to be feeding those terrible thoughts right by writing them down so it's not like it's a repression thing it's more like you need to train yourself to have like positive self-talk you know you, athletes do this too they go into things they say you know talk to yourself say i can do this i'm going to do well and they even tell you to do it in the third person so like for me i've 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 been reading that people will say don't say you know you know do your best on this you can do it say kimball you can do this like refer to yourself and so this whole idea of positive self-talk is actually a very useful concept and, and it works yeah. and feeding people's negative thoughts and having them write that it doesn't sound i mean i'm not a we give parenting advice we're not we're not therapists here per se we are we are dealing with parenting advice yeah and I, and I separate it because if your child's misbehaving you know maybe they have depression maybe they don't if, if you have concerns you know, it's worth having them see a medical professional. But a child or a teenager who's not behaving well isn't necessarily a mental health problem. It's called, that's called being a teenager. And how you deal with it's called being a parent. It's not, it's, it's not a mental health problem. Yeah, no, I agree. Kim, what are your thoughts about uh, what I've heard a number of parenting experts, quote-unquote, uh, think when they say that punishment doesn't work uh, because it looks to the past, while discipline uh, looks to the future? Is there a difference between punishment and, and discipline? Is punishment part of discipline? How do you respond to the, the uh, parent or the therapist that says that punishment doesn't work because it looks to the past? What we say is you can't punish your child into good behavior, um, but what you can use are effective consequences. And, there's, and the, the difference is the child may not know what the difference is, but, but the parent will know what the difference is. And consequences are teach the child something. Um, whereas a punishment, let's say a punishment is you're grounded for 30 days. We, tell, we counsel parents that that teaches a child to do time. And that's not necessarily a skill that you want your child to learn. Mm. Whereas a consequence, we're very specific on what are, what are we call effective consequences, which, which help your child learn something. Which is, if your child, let's say, for example, is hitting, you know, you have a child hitting their sibling, hitting their sister. 
Um, you take away their phone or their electronics uh, for three hours, and during that time, if, if they're abusive in any way towards their sister, the clock starts over again. And so what they're learning is they need to go three hours controlling themselves for those behaviors. And if they can successfully do that, they get their phone back. And then if they hit their child again, you get it for three hours again. And you can, you can modify the length of those things. But um, we want the consequences to be generally task-oriented. Like they have to do something to get that thing back. They have to make amends in some way, not just be punished. So like, like the amends might be you have to now do your sister's chores for her, things like that. Yeah. Or you have to, and, and people... people uh, Laugh at this initially, but it actually works. It, like if you have a child who's, who's either swearing at you or hitting you, you have a consequence, which is typically, you know, we use the example of taking their electronics or some privilege away. And they get it back after they've written a letter to you explaining to you, not that I'm sorry, because we don't necessarily believe I'm sorry. What they need to write is, I was wrong for what I did, and here's what I will do next time. And they actually have to write the letter out, to so sit down with a pencil and paper and write the thing out. They're not going to want to do it, but, but they will eventually do it to get whatever their, you know, their phone or their privilege back. Um, but putting them through that process over time, if things start to sink in and they realize there are rules in this household. Um, yeah, I would say if, if a child's swearing at you and hitting you, then there were some things that, that uh, didn't take place in the form of consequences slash punishment, which I think is just a euphemism, uh, consequences for punishment. Uh, there was something early on that didn't, uh, didn't happen, and uh, I, uh, I am not saying that spanking is the end all, uh, but I will say that uh, parents need, need to have that in their arsenal, and uh, the most effective one is the one that isn't given. Uh, but I... To take it totally off the table, I, I don't think is a good idea. That's, that's, that's me, uh, but uh, you know, call me a Neanderthal if you want to, but it seemed to work for millennium. Uh, I, so. I can't call you a Neanderthal for that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, and as, you know, people say, well, you, you don't want to exercise violence with your child. Well, if I bought the premise that a loving spanking was an act of violence, uh, then maybe you have a point, but uh, uh, no more than my wife going to see her female doctor is an act of uh, uh, molestation. It's, it's, there's uh, technique and there's motive, and I think the child is uh, intrinsically wired by God to be able to tell the difference, and uh, unfortunately adults don't seem to have that same ability, but uh, we need to get it back because we've got some major issues going on in our world today. Well, Kim, yeah, you been, know, go ahead. We, no, we go, go ahead. back to this whole thing about parents have authority in their household, and they, they, they need to have wide, wide, very wide discretion to, to make the rules as, as they see fit, including how consequences work out. Yeah. Because if they don't, who does get to make those rules? And that's like, it's always that who else, what, who would make the rules instead that always makes me nervous. So yeah. I, we always defer to this, this should happen within the family. Yeah. Like the government. <laughs> right. Okay. Exactly. Well, and the government is just other families. It's just yeah. us. Yeah. Yep. That's so, right. so do you want, do you want to make the rules in your family or do you want the family next door to make the rules in your family? <laughs> I mean, you I know go. the answer to the question for me. I want to make go. the rules in my family. Right. I want my, my father to make the rules, right? Okay. Absolutely. Well, I'm the guy who has to follow the rule about watching the clock. And unfortunately, the clock has gotten away with us one more time. And our time is up on today's edition of Licensed to Parent. But our guest today has been, and last week, has been Kimball Lewis, the CEO of EmpoweringParents.com. And once again, I would encourage you to check out their website and the articles and other resources available and uh, see if they might help you stay out of the need for a residential program in your family. Kimball, thanks so much for being with us. We appreciate your time uh, both last week and this week. Thank you. Absolutely. 
And that's it for today's edition of Licensed to Parent. Again, if you missed a part of this program or if you missed the last program with Kimball Lewis and would like to hear it, you'll find it on our website at licensedtoparent.org. Our guest coordinator on Licensed to Parent is Daniel Fazina. Our technical producer is Carl Peets. For Trace Embry, I'm Rich Rosl, inviting you back again next time to renew your License to Parent. And remember, folks, if you don't train your children, somebody else will. God bless you. We'll see you next time. 